0: All right, Acts chapter 4 this morning. Again, if you're new or visiting, we are going through the book of Acts on Sunday morning. Pastor Drell is going through the book of Romans on Wednesday night. Uh, For the men's Bible study, we're going through 1 John. Uh, When we have our men's Bible study, the ladies are going to be going through Galatians, and we pick these books and we go verse by verse. And so we hit those uncomfortable verses as well as the comfortable ones so we get the whole word of God. All right. Acts chapter four will pick it up in verse thirty two. Acts four thirty two Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet. Bless you. Father, we thank you and we're just going to continue in our worship of you, Father. As we know, worship is not just songs. It's, it's a lifestyle. 24 7 and so father we want to hear from heaven via your holy spirit through your word individually within our marriages corporately as a church whatever it is father we want to hear from heaven you know your holy spirit knows what we need again individually what we need in our marriages what we need as a church So we submit, even right now, our minds, not thinking of the rest of the day, lunch, football, whatever might be happening, or yesterday, but taking every thought captive to the obedience of your Son right now and focusing on your Word. Help us to focus, Father. And I pray for the gift of teaching, that you'll be glorified through your Word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, if you're new or visiting, we studied about Peter and John going back to the fellowship of believers, and they gave God the praise for the persecution, for the persecution that they had just gone through. And not only that, they prayed for more boldness to go out and teach the word in the very name that they were just told not to teach of, as the Sanhedrin instructed them, don't teach of that name ever again. But what we know is that wonderful name of Jesus. The place where the church was gathered was shaken, and they were once again, as we studied last week, they were filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. You see, God is doing an awesome work through the disciples via the Holy Spirit, as Tony called me and asked if he could share, and it just ties in perfectly. The Holy Spirit weaves all this stuff together. Just shared his testimony. It was the Holy Spirit that did the work, which, is, which was affecting lives directly around them. So much so that we're going to see a very interesting commentary on life in the early church in these next few verses. Again, this is a commentary on the early church. So in verse 32, we read, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that anything, any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. You see, this verse shows us just how sold out this group of individuals were and how much the love of God had, it has impacted their lives. 1 John 4.19 says this, We love God, if you're new to the faith or new to the Bible, or if you're not a believer yet, we love God, the hymn is God, because God first loved us. And it's very important as we see the church joining together, even as Tony was sharing, becoming one in spirit through prayer. We love God because He first loved us. So important. You see, through the finished work of the cross, they now understood what true agape, agape love, not phileo, not eros, agape, not storge, agape love. Agape love is unconditional, committed love. What it was all about and so the question comes to my mind have we discovered that true agape love we might know the definition of it but have we truly in our hearts because now the church is coming together as one it's no longer like in the upper room well i'm going to be at the right hand no no i'm going to be up at the right hand they're net they have now become one they truly understand agape unconditional, selfless, committed love. And so we have to ask ourselves, do I truly understand that? I might know the definition. But do I truly understand that? And you'll know how you understand that? Your life will project that. You will have fruit of that, not fruit of bitterness and resentment and anger and frustration, but you'll actually have love. Not phileo, if you're not familiar with these terms. Phileo was the city of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. I love you, you slap me, I'll slap you harder. Brotherly love, eros, erotic, that's where we get our word erotic from. Sexual love, storge, family love. We can have all three of those. But do we really have agape love? Which they really coined for the New Testament because the other three Greek words could not explain what Jesus did on the cross. Selfless, committed, unconditional love. So for you and I, we have, as believers, we have to ask ourselves. And when we do, our mentality about the things we possess will change. We'll be more free with our possessions, more willing to share or even give things away because it's all His anyways. You see, if God calls us to give something away, He's got a good reason behind it. So it's really a win win situation it's a win-win situation but if you don't get used to that if you don't get used to that freedom of it's not mine anyways it's God and I learned this very early on in my Christian walk when I was doing remodeling I would ask some, some of the guys in church because they had the tools I didn't have I said hey could I borrow your tool and man they were just like yeah no problem I stopped doing it because whenever I borrowed a tool or something else it would seem to break And I had to go out and buy a new one anyway, so I said, I might as well just go buy a new one, this is crazy. But there was just that freedom that I was not used to. I was kind of raised in a family where, you know, things were labeled in the refrigerator, and if you touched it, there was gonna be serious trouble. Just the way it was. So you got, we gotta be careful that this is not mine, it's God's anyways. And as we look at our text, we see that the believers came together to live as one and desired to share with one another what God had given them. They had one heart. That means their thoughts and their feelings. They had one heart and one soul, which is their spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit had taken up resonance in their very soul or their being, not just head. You see, there are many Christians, and I believe they are Christians. I believe they're saved. But the Holy Spirit has not taken up Residence in their soul. Yes, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within them, but they have not surrendered their soul. What is your soul? It's your personality. It's your whole makeup. It's your life. I surrender some. I surrender some. That's what most Christians think. They sing the song like they surrender all. No, no, they haven't. So for you and I, we have to really evaluate our lives. Am I surrendering all of it or just some of it? Here we see the early church. They're surrendering it all. They're now focused on the calling of the church, or better stated, the calling of every believer. Every believer. You see, to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love one another. Isn't that what Jesus said the two greatest commandments were? Through that continual working of the Holy Spirit, they were now focused on commonality, not individuality. Which is kind of interesting. That's what our society is based upon, really. Self. These verses, by the way, would not lead us down a road of socialism or communism. I'm not going to do a study on that. Please do your own study on those two philosophies, and you will quickly learn they never have and they never will benefit the average person. Only the leaders of those political groups actually receive above average benefits. But do your own study. In case you're wondering, is this going down that road? It's not. Verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You see, there was, is, and always will be great power in the resurrection. Eternal life with God in heaven is our main hope as Bible-believing Christians. I would encourage you to pray for the sweet sister, 29 years in the Marine Corps. And uh, she's going to go home to be with Jesus very shortly. She's got cancer. So I'd appreciate it if you'd pray for her and her family. And we're ministering to her. And she's okay. She's excited. She's ready to go. We're all going to leave, guys. Everybody's getting out of here dead. Nobody gets out of here alive. And so the resurrection, that eternal life that we have, that living hope. You see, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in this life only we have hope now that would be really disappointing especially if you're a football fan every Sunday afternoon you have hope during the football season and that hope, it's not a living hope it's just I, I hope they win <laughs> we were watching college football yesterday. I like watching football, yeah I had a hope the team was going to win they didn't win, life went on you know, it's amazing, the sun still came up today if in this life we only have hope And that word hope there is confident expectation of coming good or joyful expectation of coming good. Confident or joyful expectation of coming good. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Death, you see, is the equalizer of all of mankind. No one is going to escape it. And no one is taking anything with them. Naked we came into this world, and naked we are going out. But because of this hope that we have on the resurrection, it frees us to focus on the eternal heavenly kingdom and not get stuck on the things of this temporal earthly kingdom. You see, believer or not, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer. In other words, you have not received Jesus as your Savior. We encourage you to do so at the end of the service. Come up front and ask Jesus to be your Savior. A person who does not maintain an eternal heavenly hope, so believer or not, has to get as much as possible in this life. You know, there's a Christian t-shirt that I I really appreciate, and I think it expresses life perfectly in this area of possessions. Here's what's on the t-shirt. He who dies with the most toys... Still dies. It has that top part broken out. He who dies with the most toys, then there's a space, still dies. That's just the way it is, guys. It's just the way it is. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, And as it is appointed for men to die once, the word men there is mankind, male or female. But after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly, to those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. Praise God. So we see that the disciples preach the resurrection because it, that is what, that is what lies at the center of our Christian faith, guys. That's what it's all about. Which will cause us to focus on the eternal rather than the temporal. And notice in our verses here, at the end of verse 33, it says, And great grace was upon them all. Not just the disciples. We don't know how many were in this room, or if it was the upper room, or where they were meeting. We don't know. So I'm not going to give a number, but I can guarantee you this. It was not just the disciples, and it was not just the mother or siblings of Jesus. Great grace was upon them all. And this is a wonderful example of the body of Christ loving one another and caring for one another. They were moving in the common direction with a common goal. And the apostle John, let's look at third John, third John chapter one. There's only one chapter, but third John one, three and four. The apostle John says this, for I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth That is in you. Just as you walk in the truth. Here is John, an older saint. He's been discipling for probably 40, 50, if he's written this in his 90s, possibly 60 years. Been discipling people. And someone has come back to tell him, give him a report of some of those whom he has discipled, possibly from the church at Ephesus, And he says in verse 4, I have no greater joy. And as you as a parent, if you have a child, if you were a parent, you would have a child. (laughs) As you as a parent, (laughs) hello, you have no greater joy than to hear when your children do something. Without being told, without being scolded, without being coerced. Where they just do it on their own, like saying, thank you. That's amazing when that happens. How many times do you have to say, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? They're teenagers. What do you say? They're in their 20s. What do you say? They're in their 30s. They finally say, praise God. I'm glad you finally got it. You said that all on your own. What a guy. It's amazing, isn't it? And then when you hear that they're actually following the word of God, there's no greater joy, guys. John says there's no greater joy. Than to hear that my children, spiritual children, those who I've poured into, walk in truth. And that's so important for you and I even today as we see the truth is being so maligned. So important for you and I to continue to walk in that truth. Whatever name is on the building, whatever, just walk in the truth. That's the most important thing. You see, as we're seeing, the early church was walking in the truth. In verses 34 and 35, Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they were distributed to each as anyone had need. I mean, this is incredible. This is really awesome. Not the giving of finances, but the freedom. Not the giving of the finances. Don't get hung up on that, because... You're gonna see that's gonna change really quick in this study. But the freedom that has taken place in the lives of the believers. You see, those within the church were given to the church freely, which allowed the church to freely bless those who had a legitimate need within the church. Again, this is very early on. This is the beginning of the church. So what is the benefit of what was taking place? They were given to the church freely. Next week will be different. We'll get that story next week. But this week they were giving freely, joyfully, which allowed then the church to freely bless those who had a legitimate need within the church. Notice legitimate need. Not just a want, but a legitimate need because there are legitimate needs. So a few questions should be asked at this point. Is something that the church... Is something? Is this something that the church should have been doing throughout the centuries as we look back over the centuries? Is this something that the members, the believers of the church should have been doing throughout the centuries? Is there a teaching that would confirm this practice? In so other words, we're selling everything and giving it all to the church. You see, even though their zeal was commendable and their love was real, I personally don't see this principle being endorsed nor recommended in the scriptures i see just the opposite being taught in the scriptures very quickly let's look at luke 19 let's look at just a few scriptures for reference see you probably thought i was going to be like one of those tv evangelists and telling you to sell everything and give it to the church now let's look to the word of god not christian fiction but let's look to the word of god luke 19:11 through 13 very quickly Now, as they heard these things, Jesus spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. To me, that's part of what is taking place in the church right now in the early church. They still thought because they didn't have the New Testament, guys. They didn't know there were going to be further prophecies. They had the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. That must be it. The kingdom's coming back. He went to heaven, but he's coming back right away. As the Holy Spirit were inspiring men to write the New Testament, we find that there's more prophecies to be fulfilled, which they didn't know about. So hence, 2,000 years later, here we are, still anticipating the Lord's return because now Israel's a nation and Jerusalem is a part of Israel. Very key. So this might give us a little clue. Jesus even might give us a little clue on what was taking place in Acts. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants, delivered to them 10 minas, and said to them, do business till I come. The King James is occupy. Occupy till I come. New King James, do business. Well, if I give everything away, how can I do business? I can't. And you'll see this is not like another parable where there's ten, five, and two talents. One mina. Believers. I believe this equates to believers. Everyone is given the same grace. Not the same necessarily amount of talent, but the same grace. Let's look at Jeremiah 29. So that's the New Testament. And again, I'm just picking a few. There's many, many verses that we could look at. But Jeremiah 29, one through 14. You see, something was happening in the hearts of the saints. As I already mentioned, it might just go back to that mentality that Jesus was coming back right away. We don't need any possessions. Let's get rid of them. Let's give them all away. Let's live the most for God in the most simplest of ways with nothing. Well, Jeremiah 29. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So Jeremiah is writing this to those who have already been carried away. They're in Babylon. Prophecy has already been fulfilled. This happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasah, the son of Shaphah, and Ariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, so now the Holy Spirit inspires Jeremiah to write something down to those who are in Babylon, to the Jews who are in captivity in Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, Whom I have caused. I actually have that highlighted in my Bible. Whom I have caused. God. God caused them to be carried away. And he used Nebuchadnezzar to do that, but it was God. To be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Notice the exhortation here. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruits. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons, and give them your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may increase there and not diminish. You see, there were false prophets already in Babylon who were telling the people, Don't sweat it, we're going back to Jerusalem. We're not here for very long. Don't worry about it. We're going back. Jeremiah is saying, No, you're not. You're not coming back for 70 years. And seek peace of the city. Notice this, they're in Babylon, a heathen nation. And seek the peace of the city where, where I have caused. Again, I have the highlighted in my Bible. Where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For who? For America. If you're a believer, guys, we got new citizenship. It's in heaven. We're being held captive in this country. One day when we die, we're done, we're gone. It's, it's out, we're done. But right now, I'm being held captive by my flesh and fleshly desires and all the other responsibilities that I have and that you have. This study, I'm not encouraging anybody to negate any of their responsibilities. In no way am I even suggesting that in the... No way. That would be absolutely ridiculous. No, we have to be responsible. And we're seeing that right here. And pray to the Lord for it. For who? For Nebuchadnezzar, for Babylon. For in its peace... You will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. Notice that which you cause, not me. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. Give it all away. You won't find that in the scriptures. Occupy. Occupy. Be about God's business. You have a platform that I don't have in your work in your neighborhood, in your family. God has put you there for a reason so that you can be a light to those who are in darkness. The Jews are to be a light to the Babylonians so that the Babylonians could understand peace. And I personally believe that we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. I personally believe he received God. He came to faith. And here we find these next verses, and some of you have this plaque in your house. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. We're in Babylon for 70 years? Now, if you're in your 40s, 50s, or 60s, and you're in Babylon, and you were hoping to go back to Jerusalem next week or next month, you just got some really bad news. You're going to die in Babylon. You're not going back. But what does he say before that? Be busy. Be busy. So that peace can come upon Babylon. So that they might come to know there is a God in heaven. Then, at the end of 70 years, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause, which I caused you. Notice that again? Do you see a theme here? God's in control. And just as we read in 1 Corinthians 11, God disciplines his children. God was disciplining his children, said, fine, you want to worship idols? Let's go to Babylon. Let's go to Assyria. You're off the land. You're done. Seventy years to the place of which I caused you to be carried away captive. Back in Acts. Back in Acts chapter 4. You see, basic logic would tell a person that this is not a good idea. But then as we just read a few verses, the word of God shows us over and over again that it's truly not a good idea. We can see in the churches in the area of Thessalonica that this mentality was taking place and the Holy Spirit, through Paul, made these statements. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Very important, as we are now seeing a generation that wants everything for free. Everything for free. Free health insurance, free education. One of the nominees yesterday... Came out and said, He's recommended that we eliminate, we wipe out everyone's debt. Just call it good. Call it even. That's a bright idea. The 1% of people are going to take care of everything for all of us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 6. But we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. Wow. Do what? Withdraw. In other words, don't have fellowship. With a, a brother or a sister, they say they're Christians, they say they believe in the Bible, but they're not walking according to the Bible. They're walking disorderly, having sex outside of marriage, living together, getting drunk, uh, using medicinal marijuana when they don't need it, but it's just, yeah, well, I, I, I no, you don't. Uh, these are re- This is reality. Some people come to me and say, well, and I'm just speaking from personal experience, guys. We've had to do this. We went three years with no contact from our our son. He was tearing the family apart. I said, no, you're done. You're done. Lose our phone number. No contact. You have to have boundaries. You have to. You have to protect your family. You have to protect yourself. And so Paul's even saying, read it yourself, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat, now we're gonna get a, now we're gonna see what disorderly Paul is really talking about here, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we may not be a burden to any of you. Notice that. What's the disorderly? I don't need to work. I should get it for free. You worked all your life. You got millions and billions. You shouldn't have all that. I should have some of it while I play Nintendo in my mom's basement. Time for you to grow up. Verse 9. Not because we do not have authority. Why? But to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work... Neither shall he eat. That would be good to tell people, right? Now, I know there are some people that have situations, and I don't bash that. People need help. I get that. I understand that. But if somebody can work and they don't want to just because somebody else has something that they want, sit around and give it to me, get a job. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, those who are such... We command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Get busy. Get working. You see, how can we bless others on a regular basis if we give everything away? That's the question that I have. So as you read the scriptures, you want to read from Genesis to Revelation so that you don't pull something out of context and you don't get on the Christian fiction channel and read something out of context and get caught up in the emotions and think, oh, I should just give everything away. No, you shouldn't. Now, God, if you've prayed, if you've prayed yourself and you've searched the scriptures yourself and you've heard via the Holy Spirit yourself to give everything away, you obey that. You obey that. That's God speaking directly to you. But make sure you do those three things that you pray, you search the scriptures, you wait upon the Lord to make sure that what I'm doing is correct. Have you guys ever seen any of those groups, some of you older saints I'm sure have, where they've gotten rid of everything and they've gone to a mountain because we're going to be raptured? 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Sell it all, he's coming back. And people literally did that. I mean, hello? And he didn't He didn't come back. Duh. N- next year, 89 reasons. Why like Jesus is coming back? The same guy wrote another book. He made some, made some good money off of it, I guess. People bought him. I mean, that's just kind of crazy to me. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You see, one extreme is to sell everything. The other extreme would be gather, 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 more gathering, keep, hoard. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. We gotta find the balance. We've got to find the balance. How do we find the balance? Can we do a teaching on tithing? I could do a teaching on tithing. I could go to town on a teaching on tithing. I personally do not see that in the New Testament, tithing. I don't see that. I see it, but I don't see it taught where you have to tithe, where you need to tithe. Now, for Claudia and I, I'm just giving you a personal example. We have always used that as a rule of thumb for our family from the day one, from our first week of marriage. We just use that as a rule of thumb, but we're, we're doing more than that now. And we've done more than that for years when we sponsor children, when we sponsor missionaries. So just, you know, you want to pray and God, give me a rule of thumb. What's a rule of thumb for my life? Because it says here in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, so that each one give as he purposes in his heart. Many years ago, back in the 80s, this just popped in my head, there was a man who was so wealthy and he was making so much money, he actually gave away 90% of his finances and lived on 10%, and he still lived very comfortably. So when you go through and do a teaching on the tithe, you could actually be ripping somebody off, where God is telling them to give 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 90. Well, the pastor said only 10, so whew. I'm glad I didn't want to give 50. i glad I didn't hear from you, God. I'd rather listen to the pastor. No, 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 no. Listen to God. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. Notice that. Oh, i got to give to God. You do? Really? Please, don't. Don't. You're not getting any treasure at all. For God loves a cheerful giver. We get to participate. We don't have to. We get to. And God is able to make all grace. Notice this, all grace. What do we see in Acts? And great grace was upon them all. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, even though you give it all away, you're still going to have what you need. Not maybe what you want. Believe me, I haven't gotten a lot of things that I've wanted over the last 40 years. But all of our needs have been taken care of. Haven't missed a payment. Haven't declared bankruptcy. Haven't missed a meal. Very, very blessed. May have an abundance for every good work. Notice that. What God calls you to give may be different than what he calls me to give. And whatever he calls you to give, I just encourage you, listen and obey. Listen and obey. Don't cheat yourself. Don't compare yourself to others, whether it's little, in man's eyes, or a lot. It's your personal relationship with God. What is God asking you to give to stretch your f- It basically comes down to stretching your faith. Uh, even with this building project, Claude and I were talking, she goes, that's going to stretch us to give that money. Yes, exactly. It is going to stretch us. Stretch the faith. God's God. He'll take care of us. Let's stretch our faith. So the question, why do we need to give our funds to the church for the work of the Lord anyways? You see, if we give with a pure heart and pure motives, then there is a biblical principle that we'll be storing up treasure in heaven. Let's look at Matthew very quickly, verse six. Verse six. Matthew six, verses nineteen through twenty-one. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. This is Jesus teaching his disciples on the Mount of Beatitudes as well as others that were in the earshot. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the key, verse 21. And it's not just about money. It's whatever you would treasure. Your house, your car, your belongings, whatever it is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the key, guys. If heaven is where our heart's focus is, then we'll be more willing to release our finances, our possessions to the Lord for the work of the Lord. And this is what is taking place here in the early church in Acts. They just wanted to please the Lord in their new Christian walk, and the giving of their finances was just one aspect of that walk. You see, years later, Paul makes mention of an account to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. So now we see missionary work. The church was supporting a missionary and his name was Paul. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities, not that I seek the gift. Here's the key, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Do you guys know that every single believer in this room has an account in heaven? Jesus already told us. You have an account in heaven. How much are you putting into that account? And again, this isn't about money. Money is just a minor aspect of worship, which is 24-7. You see, Tony taking away time away from his chicken. was putting treasure in his accounts. Whether that person received Jesus Christ or not was irrelevant. The flesh says it's chicken time. The spirit says it's eternal time. And he got both at the end of the day anyways. Plus the person received Jesus as their savior. What a bonus. That goes into his accounts. Where nobody can steal it. Rust does not corrupt it. Moths don't eat it. It never gets taken out of his account. Never. I know some people say, oh, I lost my treasure. No, you didn't. Who took it out? God, oh, look at that. Chucked it out. of. It's in your account. You can't lose it. But the question is, are you putting anything in it? And again, don't get hung up on the finances. I know that's what the context is, but don't get hung up on that. Please think bigger, because it's not just about finances. It's about our life in Christ. You see, every spiritual, every believer has a spiritual account in heaven. And from these verses, we can see that one aspect of our giving to the church is for the church to support missionaries. Missionaries are those who go out and spread the gospel outside of the home church. And even though we all have the scriptures now, and they didn't, they were still willing to give. You see, the giving of our money is a spiritual principle that carries tremendous spiritual benefits, and I would encourage all of us to stay focused on that aspect of our lives. Don't allow the enemy to rob you of that opportunity to bless someone else because of a past financial situation with some other ministry that turned out bad. And that is typically why we don't give. Oh, I gave to a pastor and he blew my money. Put it behind you. Get it behind you. Don't let the enemy rob you. Be very careful that you possess your possessions and that your possessions don't possess you. Very, very important. Again, this isn't about money. It's about everything you and I have in our lives. And we'll wrap it up. We're running over so we won't have the music team come up. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated the son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, Acts 4.37, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You see, the love for God and pure motives via the Holy Spirit's are the essentials to our giving to the church for the work of the ministry. Guys, that's what it's all about. Love for God and pure motives. Pure motives. Because next week, if you want to read ahead, we're going to go into Acts 5, and you're going to see a couple people that did not have pure motives, and it cost them their lives. Love for God and pure motives via the Holy Spirit are the essentials to our giving to the church for the work of the ministry it's that simple father we thank you and praise you for your word and that as we look from genesis to revelation we can find that balance that balance of what you would have us to do individually single married even corporately as a church supporting 44 missionaries around the world father you're you're doing a mighty work and we want to do even more so give us wisdom and discernment in doing just that. That we would continue to spend our funds wisely for the furtherance of the gospel. Lord, I thank you for a faithful flock. Just We just ask a blessing upon this week. That wherever we might be, what a great testimony, Lord. That we could be interrupted by you via the Holy Spirit to be used to encourage someone, help someone, strengthen someone, rebuke someone, whatever the case may be, to do it all in love for your glory. We thank you for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming out, guys. God bless you. If you need prayer, please come up. we love to pray for you. If you need Jesus as your Savior, please come up. We'd love to pray with you to receive Jesus. God bless you guys.